Today on Never Was a Gamer, let's name a character Lance Vance and then dunk on him about it for 30 straight hours. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is the number one Love Fist fan, <laughs> Dimitri. Yeah, well-known fact is that I love bands whose members' names are all dick jokes. <laughs> you know who else loves that fist? Tommy <laughs> Bersetti. Oh yep, Michelle has spent hours... And in, hours. And hours on <laughs> inhabiting Tommy Versetti. We played Grand Theft Auto Vice City... She's lived to tell about it, barely. Yep. Uh, I mean, I died plenty along the way, but I didn't hate it. <laughs> That's, I think, the most positive thing I've heard you say about it. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the flip side of this is that um, hating something can have a fun, productive energy <laughs> to it. And if I sincerely had like a, a joyous hate for this game, I could have brought that energy to this to this podcast and been reporting on all the things that I hated. I wish that were the case in some ways. <laughs> yeah, so I guess not to bury the lead here is that this I think was your least favorite game we've played so far. It was easily my least favorite. And I should clarify, I think I don't I, I'm joking about not hating it and that being worse. But like, there are good there are things that I appreciated about this game. But the overall experience, I think, didn't add up to anything. <laughs> Much less, you know, you've been you've been giving me the hits, right? I've been playing some of what are regarded as like the best games of all time. I mean, know? arguably, this is one of the hits. I mean, I would argue. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can just start with the general impressions and then we can try to get into why you didn't enjoy this game as much as I think we were hoping you would. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean... So I enjoyed a handful of things about it. I think uh, driving around in this game, which is one of the probably the thing you spend the most time doing, fundamentally feels good and is fun. And that's a big deal. Like a fundamental temple of this game basically works. Um, these are my praise points. <laughs> <laughs> the vibes are good. Driving around, listening to the radio, looking at different neighborhoods. That feels good. I think... The way that different cars and different vehicles and motorcycles all feel different is really, really fun. I very quickly developed really specific preferences for certain bikes or certain cars uh, and really like stuck to that. Like I was really resentful if I couldn't find one mm -hmm. that I liked. I was like, oh, God, I'd rather just wait for one to come. Oh, by. yeah, that's that's <laughs> part of the Grand Theft Auto experience for sure. And you really took to the bikes. I love which, the bike. Which were new in this game. Yeah, I really like them because you can fit between two cars mm -hmm. that are side by each and you can like get up on the sidewalk much more easily. Like you have way more movement options on the bike. So yeah, I was, I was on bikes every time that I could. I think we have some really fun high concept setups for individual missions. We can talk about what happens when all those missions start actually going. Um, but I think it has some some fun big ideas about what it wants you to do that's like outlandish and and really and really fun. Um, using codes was a blast. Oh yeah, so I guess I should we should set this up that we did use codes a lot during yeah. this game. We used a lot of the cheat codes partially because that's actually how I played it when I was playing it growing up when I first played the Grand Theft Auto games. 
I realized pretty quickly, especially during the heavy gunplay sections where the actual like mechanics of shooting aren't that strong. Yes. Um, your character, even with armor, dies pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So for me growing up, it was a much more fun game just putting on codes just to help me get through the missions, mm-hmm. as well as all the other really playful codes that you can that you can mess around with, like spawning tanks or spawning cars out yeah. of nowhere. In San Andreas, it's too bad it's not in here. I think one of the highlights of San Andreas is that you can get a jetpack. Oh. And playing with the jetpack was is just so, so fun. Just putting in the code so you can have it whenever and just kind of flying around. Yeah, that sounds great. That was one of the best experiences that uh, I had of that game. Yeah. I did play a certain stretch of, of the game at the start without any codes. Mm-hmm. Like I sort of went to a point when I was really sort of running up against a wall in a mission. Uh, which, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that was really far into the game. It was probably only an hour or two. But I did get a little taste of what this game would be like without codes. And it just, I think it gets in its own way too much at that point. Mm-hmm. Like I, for me, at least the codes are a part of the experience that just, you just got to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. And we can talk about this later, but the way the missions are structured and the fact that they don't really have checkpoints in the missions. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, if you're if you're near the end, and you're almost dead, just hide behind a wall and put in the health code and put yeah. in the body armor code just to get through it so you're not wasting all that time at that point. Yeah. I think it's better for everybody if you if you use the code. Yeah, but, the, no, none of that stuff is rewarding enough to mm-hmm. be worth like grinding through it over and over again until you do it perfectly. Like that's just not fun. It's also I think part of the experience uh, and now that you've and now you've had this experience where the codes just become muscle memory. Yeah. I think that's really fun. <laughs> yeah. um, I know my brother can pick up a a PlayStation controller and sometimes his fingers will just do the jetpack from Whoa. San Andreas like, like in other years games. and years and years later. <laughs> yeah, like just it's just so ingrained because we just did it so many times. It's like I would like to fly now. Yeah. <laughs> Playing just cause or whatever. I noticed another thing you really liked was I mean the music in general, but when mm-hmm. uh, Brian Adams came on, <laughs> I think that was the most delighted you were throughout the entire game. I was surprised. <laughs> I don't know why I was surprised, but I was. Because we were just flipping through the channels and like it was in the middle of Run to You and yeah. you, were, you were very happy. <laughs> Listen, that's like the soundtrack of my childhood. That's like the music, <laughs> the soundtrack of our house as I was growing up. So, okay. So I'm glad you did have these high points and we'll we'll get into them a bit more as we go through the game in more detail. But as you prepare for these things, so a little peek behind the curtain, Michelle does some free writing after playing for certain amounts of time just to to get her thoughts down on the paper. And when doing it for this game, the word that kept popping up over and over was that you felt lonely. Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. I know. And I don't really I know. know what you, I don't know what you mean by that. So I don't, I don't know if you want to expand. Yeah, I, I think, um, so I played a lot of this game with you sitting on the couch beside me, but mostly kind of doing, you know, with your laptop, like half paying attention and half doing other stuff. And I felt I felt like I was locked in the box of this game without you, like in a weird way. Like, so first of all, I think I had it in my head that this would be something where like I'd be doing crazy stuff and you and I would be laughing about it together. And like you'd be prodding me to try weird stuff and I'd be trying weird stuff and you'd be responding. And that's the way it's been in a lot of other games, even ones that are not playful in the way that this is intentionally playful. And instead, what I was really feeling is that I was so stuck trying to get the finicky junk in this game to work that it didn't leave me a lot of room for experimentation. And a weird thing that I have not had yet with any game we've played for this pod is that I couldn't tell when you were watching me play or not. 
Like in every game, no matter how intense I've been in it, like in, in Super Metroid right off the top, I could feel when you were watching um, and and responding in some kind of way. And in this, I just felt like there was this gulf where um, I felt like sort of alienated from the world of the game. I felt like there was nothing there for me to latch on. It felt like there were no people in this game. Mm. Um, and I felt like... I felt in some ways like this ought to have been a fun uh, experience that almost we had together. And it just, I I felt like I wasn't um, performing the game well enough to make that happen or something was just disconnected. Hmm. But it was really a recurring thing. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean that like you should have made me play this game more fun. That's not, you know, the subtext here. It's really genuinely that like, it felt like a touchstone for... Um, for this broader experience I was having of not being able to milk the the kind of fun I wanted to have out of the game. Hmm. Yeah, I think the experience that you were hoping to have is basically the experience that I had with at least the the, the kind of three trilogy. Trilo- right, right. With the three trilogy. So three, Vice City, San Andreas. Because I almost always played those with people around. Um, and it did become kind of this collective experience where we'd prod each other and say, you know, go over here, go over there, try mm-hmm. this, try that. And it would be just become really goofy and fun and playful and just like full of laughter. And yeah, that wasn't the experience here. And one thing that I think I mentioned to you is that I don't think in any game I've seen you be less curious about the game, which I think partially contributed to this because you weren't doing any prodding of the game itself. Like there was just no impulse to do that. Whereas even in kind of like, even in 2D games, you'd kind of go anywhere you could. Like even in Super, I mean, Super Metroid kind of encourages that. But usually you're someone who, when you're put into a space, you try to push at the limits of it. Mm -hmm. You try to get to places where the game doesn't tell you to go. And in this, it was just none of that. And I know I found found that kind of weird because for me, you've just been given this huge open space to do whatever in. Mm -hmm. And it's a space that, for me, invites you to do things in it and to play around in it. And there are just some things that you just go, you just drive past, like you wouldn't even notice. Like I remember the first time I think I really noticed this. Was that you were you were driving around? You were you were picking up pretty good speed, and off to the side of the road, there was something that I mean, it's architecture, but it's clearly a ramp. It's barely architecture. <laughs> it's it's like just a triangle that that has a car width <laughs> on the top, like. And you just zoom by it, and I was like, "Didn't you see that ramp?" You're like, no. And I was like, "Oh, well, if you go back, like you can hit the ramp." You're like, "I don't care," and you just kept driving like to the next mission. Can I tell you, I didn't take that ramp once. <laughs> In my whole playthrough, I saw you take it. I'm aware of the ramp. I know exactly the ramp you're talking about. And yeah, and if if you if that doesn't interest you, that's just death in this game. Like, right. Hours of me playing it when I was younger was just like people trying to set up stupid jumps and find out different things in the world that could be ramps mm-hmm. and see what you can do off of them. And then I mean, the game does reward you by giving you like twenty bucks for, yeah, sure. for a decent jump. And, and yeah, you just did none of that. So I guess one of my questions here is, was that all driving for you guys? Because a, a thing that I think was a was a continual block for me was that nothing in this game feels good except driving. Like as soon as you're out of the car for me in this game, it's a mess. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. Driving is by far the best part. Um, usually the only times if we were not in the missions that we get out of the car would just be to cause a little bit of chaos sure. to get to get the cops out. To get a motorcycle. Get the, <laughs> yeah. Or to grab a better car. Right. You know, 
and then kind of immediately get back in the car and and drive around. But yeah, yeah, driving was definitely the fundamental of this game. Yeah, I think weirdly. Um, okay, let's talk about that big nonsense ramp for a minute, because um, I think actually this is part of the problem and part of why I never felt like I was just in the game in the normal way that I am in games. I think putting that ramp there and it's not like, is it even an architectural feature? It literally is just, it's like a hair off the the path that you're already on. You have a nice clean view of it. It clearly lines up over a river. It's just a ramp. And it, I feel like it's the game nudging, me, like elbowing me and being like, hey, see that ramp over there? You want to go have some crazy ramp fun? Like, I feel like it's- um, Yeah, I do though. Yeah, no, sure. But I, I think like- I think these are moments when, for me, the game is overestimating its charms, at least on me. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, I'll find a ramp if I want to, which is I also like don't think so childish, but I, I don't know. I mean, there are plenty of ramps for you to find Yeah, that don't that aren't necessarily as obviously ramps. <laughs> there are those truck ramps, like the driving ramps. Yeah. Like trucks with ramps on them that you can go up behind and then ramp off of them. Which yes. Is very fun. Agreed. I don't think you did that once. I did. Oh, you did? Yes. And I crashed and burned and had to Perfect. get another car. Exactly. Just like, oh, I don't have any bad feelings about this. I just was like, <laughs> okay, I did that. That was fun. Next. <laughs> and like early on, you find out that there's uh, these collectible packages. You did not care. I think I got two. (laughs) Like, yeah, like there are a hundred of them. And again, that try to get you or try to encourage you to at least poke and prod in the in the corners of the map. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I do think you ended with literally two. Yeah, there was just you get this big space of it. It just you were not enticed by it at all. You did not care to, to see what was there at all. Yeah, I think I just I think I just wasn't fundamentally drawn in and therefore wasn't like, oh, let's like spend unnecessary time in this world. It felt and I think this is part of what goes to the the like feeling of being lonely in this game as well is at a lot of points I felt like I was pushing forward because I have like I have to play this. I have to get through it. I have to like go. Um and you know that that's something that, you know, I'm playing games on a schedule so that we can keep making the podcast. It's not that that's a a feeling that um, I've never felt about any of the other games, but mm. all the other games, I might start out like that, but then 15 minutes into playing the game, I'm into it. Like it's it's mm-hmm. got me at that point. And this one, I, I just felt like for so much of it, I just was like, okay, let's see what this mission is. Like, okay, here's the setup. And the setup sometimes would be really good. And then we get into actually executing it. And I'd be like, wow, this uh, gunplay is a nightmare in this. <laughs> it's This is... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, so maybe we can back up for a bit. And just if people haven't played a Grand Theft Auto before, like you had until this game, you could just set up the basic premise of this game, but also the basic structure of the game. So what are you doing from moment to moment? Okay, so you are Tommy Versetti, who uh, has been with organized crime, just got out of some jail time, gets sent down to Miami to um, do some business for your boys back up north. you have a he, drug- he gets sent to Vice City. Okay, excuse me. Vice <laughs> Vice Miami. Um and you are supposed to do this drug deal that goes sideways and so at first you're there to to hunt down um the people who did you dirty, but gradually you're sort of building up your own independent like crime empire. 
um, and and acquiring things and taking out other people on, along the way. So a lot of what you're actually doing in terms of your verbs in the game are <laughs> carjackings, driving around, you can shoot at people. There's some conversation, but it's not like a dialogue heavy game, really. You're getting missions from different uh, key contacts who might be other crime people or people. Uh, people who own certain establishments that you're taking over and you're going to own and get money from. You're sort of building up your empire to the part to the point where you're a threat to the people back home and that'll be your final showdown. So you're kind of bouncing back and forth between this um, unstructured, purely open world uh, thing. And then once you initiate a mission, you're really like locked into that mission until it's complete. Um, and often they are sending you to with a really specific objective to a specific location to do things that aren't available at other times in the game. So it's like it'll spawn the stuff that you need for the mission just at that time. And uh, and once you complete it, that's kind of over. Right. So structurally, is this was this familiar to you based on the other open world games you've played? We talked about some of them last time or was there something fundamentally different here? Uh, I think it was it was pretty familiar. The The missions were much more dispatchy like it was like once you have one contact you're working with you just keep going back to them and they just keep giving you jobs mm -hmm. on on this loop and i've played other games that have some elements of that but usually and this i'll say is to this game's credit usually what i associate that structure with is you'll have like that one guy in an open world game who's like i collect trophies from wild animals and he'll be like bring me two deer's antlers so you have to go kill two deer and then we come back he's like bring me a polar bear paw or whatever, like where it's it's just multiple kind of fetch quests-y of the same sort of thing. These ones are quite varied, I'll say. Um, the setups tend to be pretty different. The objectives tend to be pretty different. Um, and so it avoids a little bit of that. So it, it's familiar and and unfamiliar in particular ways. Yeah, like the division between side quests and main quests in this game is much more fluid, I think. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, there's there are clearly ones that you have to do to, to progress the story, but those aren't always super obvious. I would agree. I, I And it was a funny thing where I often, sometimes even until after completing a quest, was not <laughs> did not realize that it was going to turn out to be or had been something really fundamental to the story. Um, you, you just sort of are going through the, yeah, I work with this guy. I do missions for him. You're sort of grinding through it. And then, oh, he's, uh, oh, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happens. Or the or the guy you're working for just kind of disappears and you're done with his, his quest line. And that's yep. kind of the end of that. And so there are some similarities, I think, with a lot of the open world games you've played. But again, because you come, and we talked about this last time, because you come largely out of the RPG context, I think you do see that the structure of this type of open world game is slightly different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, pacing works very differently. Like a lot of stuff is is a little bit changed from. Yeah, what we and see. you've you've always just got one mission going at a time. You're not building yep. up a quest log. I mean, you have kind of a a spate of quest givers or of mm -hmm. mission givers around the map, including the one you could never get to. <laughs> and <laughs> so this is a recurring thing oh, where God. on the map it has all of the mission givers represented by the first letter of their name. Yeah. So, so like Avery will be a big A. Mm-hmm. Um, Michelle kept trying to get to this mysterious N, but it kept eluding her and she could never really make up the distance because she kept seeing the north signal on the map. 
<laughs> and trying to drive to it. And being like, weird, I don't remember who that is. Let's go find out. Did I, did I unlock someone new? Neat. This happened, listener, like eight times. <laughs> like way more times than you're imagining. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I'm extremely stupid in some ways. So I think like ending this, I feel weird and honestly guilty about the fact that I did not have the fun with this game that I wanted to have and that I feel like I was meant to have. What I really want to do over the balance of this episode is talk through some of the things that I think like could have worked for other people <laughs> mm-hmm. and really kind of explore like why did this not work for me? Because I want to both understand as well as I can what other people, including you, really responded positively to and also be able to work through a little bit of my like what happened here? <laughs> I think I've been pretty game for new experiences over the course of this season uh, and this one just didn't come together. Okay, that sounds like a good plan. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll interrogate Michelle further and try to figure out exactly what it was about this game that she just couldn't get into. We'll interrogate the game further. (laughs) Okay. Yes, we'll interrogate the game. Okay, we're back to look more closely at why this game didn't resonate with Michelle, and I think specifically why things that resonated with other people, including me, didn't resonate with Michelle. Yeah. We've already been talking about the world a bit, so let's start there, because really the great appeal of these games, especially when they were first released, was the freedom that the world's offered. Mm -hmm. This kind of sandbox or open world, or however you want to describe it, uh, with just a little bit of structure in it to actually give you something to do and... And for something to latch on to, to give you some direction if you needed it. So did this work for you as an open world game in general? Uh, sort of is the answer. So I think in the sense that the the most fun that I had with this game was in moments when I was either in the open world part or when I was very much not doing what the game meant for me to be doing in the mission or not what the game meant for me, to, but what was ostensibly the mission. Those were the parts, some of the parts where I think it succeeded the most. I think like a thing that sort of blocks this for me, uh, the evolution, like sandbox, no, uh, open like dirt track, maybe like, (laughs) um, again, it's it's like, it's a car sandbox, whatever Mm -hmm. that is. It's not generally really that much of a fun, like you don't have that much control over what you do, like with or to other people other than just like shooting them or not, you know, like 
Um, right. And in one of the interviews that we talked about last time with one of the Housers, um, he was describing the difference between sandbox and open world and, and preferring the term open world for this because he was saying that there was kind of structure mm-hmm. within the world. But more so, I think that what he wanted to provide the player was the seamless move between the different types of gameplay so that you can move seamlessly from shooting section to a driving section. And they weren't kind of this discrete, now you're doing the driving, now you're doing the shooting, but they 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 intermixed. Yeah. Which seems like if the only thing that resonated with you was the driving part, then maybe that's part of part of why the game as a whole didn't work. Yeah. I think also there's a funny and very clear division between I'm in the open world, I'm having fun, and I'm into a mission now. Oh, that's a, like, great. That's like a different it just yeah. It just slams, the boundary between those just slams shut and open when you make those transitions. Okay, like, yeah. Let's talk about this, and maybe this is where we can get into some missions uh, in more detail. Sure. But this is the tension that we talked about last time, the, the tension between having a full open world and then the desire to tell some kind of cinematic narrative story. Mm-hmm. And in this case, that occurs within the structure of the missions. Yes. So yeah, you move from this open world, you go to your your mission giver, which is often a pink mission mark, mm-hmm. and you stand on it, and it kind of you get this loading screen into the mission, <laughs> and then really, you're right, the, the game dramatically changes from that point. Yeah, you get a title for the specific mission, like it very much is like here's this little snippet of story or like a thing that happens for mm-hmm. you that. I, I appreciate some of the variety within those, but it's just, it's for me, weirdly segregated from the rest of the world. Um, and maybe that's from a design point, and I don't think Rockstar's ever figured this out, but from a design point, if what they were thinking is, okay, by open world, we want people to move seamlessly between, and I mean, now there's more than driving, shooting. Now it's like, okay, you can move seamlessly between driving, shooting, like bowling, sure. playing darts, sure. you know, visiting characters. But yeah, what they haven't figured out is move seamlessly between the open world and the missions. Yeah. Because that's where, yeah, this this break comes. Yeah, I, I think I was surprised. And I don't know why, because Rockstar games are always like this. And I was actually, while you were playing this, I was playing Bully. Mm-hmm. I think one of the few Rockstar games that I hadn't already played, just so I was kind of in a Rockstar world at the same time as you were. And I was really struck by how in both games, and even in their current games, the missions are so, so structured. Yes. Like you literally walk into a pink circle and a lot of them are like, okay, literally walk to this other pink circle somewhere else. We've put a marker. You just have to get your body there, Mm -hmm. do this exact thing. Mm -hmm. And very, in a lot of missions, very little room for improvisation. Yeah. Lots of ones that are like uh, races on a particular vehicle through a specific path illustrated by you have to hit these marks. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one that's like distribute these pamphlets and you're you're flying through specific ter- like it's, mm-hmm. it's a very um it's very directed and i don't think that that's inherently bad but it to some extent i think this did give me the feeling that like i'd be a little bit goofing around in the open world or just like oh i finally got a bike i like i've got my like right radio station on and then i'd be like okay, I guess I can stop having fun and go do a mission now. Because it's mm-hmm. like, because that is is so much of the free mm-hmm. part, I think that sort of prejudiced me against some of what's actually in the missions. Because it's like, okay, like back to business. Oh, I think you're right. Like the game in the missions is where the game gets in its own way. Yeah. And in some cases forgets what is fun about the game. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know why. I'm thinking maybe this is because... I mean, you can see all over the game and even in the advertising that this game wants to be a movie. And I mean, 
even future Grand Theft Autos even more and more want to be a movie and give us cinematic experience. And that often manifests as controlling every minute action within the mission structures, like where the narrative is taking place. Right. Even though I think in all of these games, the most kind of cinematic parts, at least experientially, happen in the emergent gameplay. Yeah, yeah, right? for it's like, sure. It's the things that are unexpected that just happen from different game systems coming into contact with each other based on what you did. Yeah. And so I was... I was really hoping to come out of playing this game and you'd have, you know, a dozen stories you want to tell of, of things that happened to you in this game. And, mm-hmm. I, and I don't know if you do. Yeah, I have some. I, the first time I tried to carjack a guy and he actually got back up and pulled me back out of the car, <laughs> I was so surprised and so delighted because I had been just taking cars from whoever mm-hmm. I want for like a couple hours at that point. Like it was pretty well into the game. And yeah, usually they don't fight back. And I was just so genuinely surprised. Like I easily could have caught up with him again, but I think I let him go out of respect. <laughs> like I I just, a combination of surprise and like, okay, all right, all right, there he goes. There goes this guy with his car. I mean, I, I pretty quickly developed a practice of running around and waiting for something good to show up rather than carjacking a shitty car. Right. You mentioned that, yeah, you wanted you, there were a certain number of cars that you wanted. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm honestly scandalized by the idea that anyone would just take the first thing that comes along, including sometimes occasionally at a couple points on here, we handed off the controller um, and, and you played a little bit and you hopping into just the first car to come along. I was like, wow. Wow, <laughs> not discerning tastes here. And part of that was that it was more fun to drive, but mostly part of it is like, especially when you're in like a little more rundown area, it feels bad to just like pull some broke dude out of his shitbox car and drive away with it. It's like, I'm not enjoying this. He needed that car. Like, this isn't great. Whereas, like, I always feel fine pulling mm-hmm. some asshole out of, like, a sports car right. or, like, a really expensive high-end car. Right. So here's where the RP gets in the way of the fun. Yeah. <laughs> which I think we'll talk about in more detail in a bit. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, Tommy wouldn't give a shit about right. that, right? <laughs> but apart from that, were there any other kind of emergent moments? I mean... People usually come out of this game, you know, with these stories about, you know, I was chasing, I was being chased by the cops and they almost got me. And, you know, I did this donut and I got around (laughs) and I hit this ramp and I flipped and then my car was on fire and they almost caught me again. But I jumped on a motorcycle. Sure. You know, like these whole kind of narrated action sequences that that happened just spontaneously. Yeah. So um, I had a couple fun moments when I the cops would get after me. And instead of trying to correct or get away, I was just like let's see how bad I can make this before Mm -hmm. they can take me down. Like how much carnage can I cause? And so I I did that uh, to fruition a couple of times, but I think more where that started to come together for me a little bit was in some of the missions where I decided on a particular approach to a mission Mm -hmm. that wasn't necessary. It was just what I decided to do. Like one of the, probably my favorite one is, um, the one where you have to uh, lance your buddy is being held by a rival gang and they're going to kill him and you have to like bust into basically their hideout and get him. And this then one's called death row. Right. Yeah. And then you have to get him to the hospital before he bleeds out because he's been shot. 
So there's a couple of phases of this, but the and you have like a, a countdown this whole time on mm-hmm. on until Lance is gonna die. Oh, yeah. So it's there's a time pressure here. I do remember watching you do this. And, and yeah, this is one of the moments when I think you had a lot of fun. Yeah, this was one of my favorite missions of the game. So what I decided to do for this, there's there's a ton of guys all over the place. This old like um empty construction kind of site. It's a junkyard. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think it's, it's the a, first time right. you have to go to the junkyard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um so Obviously, you're kind of supposed to just like get in this big shootout with them. I instead would like get my car up to top speed. I would intentionally grab a junker that was like huge, um, get it up to top speed, like ramming into their through their their like gates and dive out at the last moment. Mm-hmm. So just the car would like skid in and take out a bunch <laughs> of them, just like yeah. hit a whole whack and then like out of the smoke behind it, I'd come out with my like semi-automatic and just like mope like so that's really fun. That was like in my head, that was choreographing an action sequence mm-hmm. where I like sent this car careening into this and then bust through and then taking out all, out all these people. I'm getting my boy. I'm getting out of there. So moments like that were pretty fun. I wish I had more of them. Right. Because so the, the missions that work by and large are the ones that still allow you to play within a sandbox. Right. Right. And right, that right. still allow for emerging gameplay that aren't so choreographed and that kind of prescriptive right and and force you to go from you know point a to point b and not deviate from a path right and yeah shockingly those are not as plentiful as you'd think yeah um the other one that i that i think was really fun is one of the earlier ones called four iron yes 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 where you're just you're just tasked with taking out this guy who's golfing kill a golfing guy yeah and he's got bodyguards around him yes and that's basically it and you can do whatever you want to do it yep you want to get in a big golf cart chase? You did get into a big golf cart chase a number of times, and sometimes he got away. <laughs> yeah, it took me a lot of tries because I was trying all these like elaborate contrivances instead of just trying to like shoot his bodyguards and kill him. Yeah, which is so fun. Yeah. So yeah. I tried like dumping all the golf carts in the lake except for <laughs> one so that I could just jack it and hunt him down. Right, because what happens is that they all get in their golf carts and chase you down. Yeah. So yeah, Michelle realized that and just, <laughs> and just did away with their golf carts. Yeah, and I also died more than once trying to put their carts in the lake. <laughs> Yeah. by like not bailing out early enough um yeah tried like directing where he was gonna run taking him out from a distance i tried a bunch of different stuff there so yeah that one ended up being really fun i tried just beating him to death with a golf club you know there's so in that case you have you have a goal you have a setup with lots of tools and the game actually lets you do it how you want to do mm-hmm. it the other one that stands out in my head is one of my favorites, which is Sir Yes Sir, which the whole objective of this is to oh, yeah. steal this military tank mm-hmm. that is surrounded by military guys. It's like, this was the one mission in the game, I think, where when I looked at what I had to do, I was like, that's impossible. I don't know how I'm ever going to successfully do this. Because it's like, the tank is coming down a main street in this whole like military formation. Like there's other... There's other cars, like Jeeps, full mm-hmm. of military guys. There's a guy in the gunner in the, what's it called on the top of the tank? The turret? In the turret on the tank. There's a guy driving it. And I ended up also figuring out like what for me was a really fun strategy, which was like backing again a car, like way back into a point where I could get ramming speed and like nail one of the things from the side to turn the tank and send one of the Jeeps of guys spinning out. And it makes the gunner come out and, and and the driver try to fight you. And then you can get in the tank and then you can speed off and you go over some guys to as you're getting away. So that takes out more of them. Like, And I mean, especially in that mission, the power imbalance oh, 
And like, and the switch that yeah. happens from you not being in the tank to you being in the tank. Oh my God. You go from being like any millisecond of a mistake will kill me immediately because you're surrounded by like 20 army guys with guns and all these vehicles to like, let me just slowly roll over literally like you're driving down the street to try to get it to like into the garage that is like that your goal. And you can just if cars are coming at you, police cars are parked like to try to block you off in the street. You just roll right over them. Just keep going. Just that brute force. And it's so slow. It just feels so like weighty and powerful. And I think like on that line of you being able to figure out what you want to do, I think one of the one of the stupid things in this game that I actually enjoyed a lot was one of the few places where I think it did kind of let you be doing something mission-ish and also in the open world hmm. was in the car collection stuff that you do for the car dealership asset. Oh, yeah. This is where I think you also kind of wrote your own emergent narrative yep. that uh, <laughs> was a very boring action movie, not action movie. But it was like, <laughs> it was it, so it's funny. like anti-action moviness. Mm -hmm. The tedium of it almost yeah. was like pleasant. Like it was, I don't know, it was appealing to me in this chaotic world. Yeah. So for this so for the car dealership, you get the car dealership, but then you can make more money from the car dealership if you collect cars. Mm -hmm. And so on the walls, they have lists of cars for you to collect. And your goal is to go and find one of those cars in the world somewhere and bring it back to the dealership. Yeah. And uh, Michelle's strategy. <laughs> so the other thing that's kind of important about this I is that the, this. This the is car so dealership stupid. is positioned right outside the airport. So you actually get a lot of traffic coming through and a lot of different kinds of cars coming through. Yeah. And there's not a lot of turnoffs. Like you mm -hmm. have sort of... It's, it's around a curve that's like a long straight stretch. Like mm -hmm. there's not a lot of ways for people to divert if, for example, there's a many car pile up. <laughs> it, was a, it was a perfect storm for Michelle's <laughs> twisted plan. <laughs> so I basically would block a lane um, often just by standing in it. Like I would just put my body in the way. And as they stopped and started to pile up, I would just go one to the next <laughs> and like often like jacking throwing the owner out to sit in it just to see what <laughs> what it was called because i don't remember the names of yeah. these cars like i don't know like i have the names in my head but i didn't know what they look like and just then if that wasn't what i needed like okay you can go and like going to the next one just like kilometers of yeah cars. oh so, <laughs> backed, so backed up, up. so just, so backed just up going one to the next and yeah them. <laughs> and then i would yeah. like find one and like oh great and like drive off and and pull it into my into my little thing but i don't know that was like that was fun and it felt so different from what I had done mm -hmm. everywhere else. And I, th I felt like I had control of a part of the open world mm -hmm. space in a way that was different from everywhere else in the game. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the missions or tasks that are the best consistently were the ones that just gave you one general goal and yeah. said, you know, figure out how to accomplish this goal however you want. We're not really going to restrict you. Yeah, and, and this one isn't even, it doesn't do that hard cut into a mission. It's just, right, like, you can take yeah. as long as you mm -hmm. want. You can get two cars off a five-car list, go do a mission, come back, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that that felt that felt good, and I spent some time doing that, even though it's real dumb. Um, but I don't know. So I've been thinking about this because, so some of that's that choreography of action scene stuff or anti-action scene stuff in my car collecting <laughs> it's fun but it it so this has helped me think through a little bit of why some of the fu fundamental stuff in this game doesn't work for me often you would have these missions with really fun big uh setups in terms of what they are asking you to do narratively mm -hmm. but then 
the actual action of playing it out is just like fiddling with luck and jank and like is stuff gonna work the way it's supposed to work this time and you don't mm-hmm. you don't feel like you fully have control and that really frustrates the the feeling of doing this storytelling with your mm-hmm. your character and so an interesting comparator that I've been thinking about is with like the the modern hitman games because mm. um, in those you have a goal you have an open world with lots of tools lots of things that will respond to you but that is like a like a clock where like you can control really fine things and things generally really do respond mostly in the way that you want them to or like the few times it deviates it's rare enough that it's surprising and fun Mm -hmm. um this one i just always like almost every mission took me a bunch of tries and Mm -hmm. not always because i didn't understand what i was supposed to do or because i was like really not doing it that well oftentimes it was just like retrying something until some little thing that clearly was supposed to work actually triggered successfully or Mm -hmm. or whatever and like that's not fun that everything has slammed to a halt at that point i'm just throwing myself against a wall over and over until the game works right um Mm -hmm. and that that sucks that's not that's not what this should be there's one kind of mission that really stands out I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's the big heist. So it's it's actually mimics a structure that later, and especially five, Grand Theft Auto Five picks up, where you do a bunch of missions to kind of set up for a bigger heist, and mm-hmm. then the finale is that you and all your accomplices get together and try to do this heist. Mm-hmm. But in this game, all the heist is, it's like, oh my god, that means I'm gonna have to do some in like tight interior stuff, yeah. which is <laughs> yeah. with the camera and the way the, yeah. the shooting works and the way just the maneuverability works. It's just going to be a nightmare, and it that was a nightmare mission. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and and I mean, there's one that really stood out for me because I actually did this one in our playthrough because it was just too much. Yeah, and, and I almost just said we're not going to do this one. <laughs> it's called Cannon Fodder. I think this was the worst mission in the game. It's when it's one you do for um, Danny Trejo's character. Uh huh. And he's sending you to go, and you have to go and grab this band from um, the the Haitian gang. Yeah. And you go with your characters um, and, you know, you have to like take out the sniper, but you have to also kind of protect some of your AI companions who just run right in front of you. Yeah. So if you're trying to shoot, yeah. they get mowed down. Super bad AI. And so the NPCs just do that. And then you get to this van and there's just all these other enemy NPCs. They're just like shooting rapidly. So if you're not out in like two seconds, the van just blows up. Yeah. And so again, it's just fiddling with all the jankiness to make sure that you can execute exactly how it needs you to to actually get out of there. Yep. And if you actually just run in with your gun to try to actually shoot the enemies, one of your dumb NPC partners is inevitably going to get in front and then you'll fail the mission for that. Yeah. Like the the fail states were just so unforgiving Severe. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think we should pause to articulate for anyone who hasn't played this game how the aiming and shooting system works. Because um, I think if you've played most games, you're probably picturing some sort of like face the direction you want to shoot and fire. That's not what this is. Or it is with some guns, but not with most, not with mm-hmm. the ones that are powerful. You have to like push one of the the trigger or shoulder buttons to rotate which person on screen is your target and then be locked on there and then fire. It's so, kind of like a weird whack-a-mole yeah. situation. And honestly, they haven't really fixed that. That's kind of still how the shooting is. In GTA Five, it's it works fine when you have like one or two guys on mm-hmm. screen because I actually I I don't know that I would want with like a pistol to be trying to 
point my again with the jank of this game trying to point tommy perfectly at someone especially if they're moving but it means that if you have like 12 guys on screen you're just like trying Mm -hmm. to work through like it just doesn't work for that format uh and there's other weapons there's other ways you can approach that but it just it's it's fundamentally not that fun (laughs) to Mm. do yeah and again in the missions outside of the missions it could be a blast yeah um, to get back to the the idea of the open world and a little bit the contrast with my like rpg training coming into this (laughs) Um, so I, I didn't do absolutely every side quest, but I do wish that more of the ones that I did led me into little corners of the city that I otherwise wouldn't have poked around in. Um, the the couple that did this really worked and really helped my relationship with the game, like being led to the docks area with the trucks and warehouses. Mm-hmm. Like there's different stuff there that feels like a different neighborhood. Um and a little bit that started to happen a bit with the uh, Auntie Poulet missions who just lives. She just lives in a random house in a block in like a poor neighborhood that like looks like something like it. These missions helped me see the different areas of this game as neighborhoods or as regions. Like it just it feels more like a city to me at that point that there is someone who just lives in a house um, and not that you're always meeting like your contact on his jet boat and like i don't know it it's it's different um because i think one of the things that is a little i don't know how to feel about this is that you spend a lot of time in this game on like big waterfront throughways and i picture those all being places that like locals would never go to or like completely avoid unless you're tr- like driving across town or out of the city or you're showing somebody around like so much of it feels like you're going places where no one actually lives or like is is going about their life um and so those those missions helped me a lot and I wish there was more like that so the the best balance for me ends up being in the second half of the game where you just have to open enough side businesses and and make them profitable to be able to trigger the final mission. Yeah, so this is something I completely forgot about. And I don't think any Rockstar game has done something like this since. But yeah, the first the first act of the game is very much finish kind of the the bare number of story missions, yeah. move into the second act. But yeah, then the second act is just all building these businesses. So it's it's much more open. Yeah. You're given a general goal of pretty much find enough side businesses to make enough money to trigger a phone call that will trigger the final two missions. Yeah. So this is a good structure to me. I it, like this. Yeah, because I think it plays to the strengths of what the game is. Yeah. You like I didn't spend much time with the ice cream truck stuff because I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> right. Because you don't have to do all of them. Right. Yeah. So right? you are allowed to bail. Yeah. So like, you know, our counterfeiting printing press. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you do have to do that one. Yeah, I think I think you do, too, because you have some people run up on you at some point And that's mm-hmm. like that advances the plot. But yeah. If you don't want to do the car collecting mission to make that to make the car dealership profitable you don't have to yeah so you can really play to your strengths as well as the games yeah getting the club felt like a real achievement oh yeah you really wanted that i don't know what the The first time i entered the malibu club i was like i want to buy this it was like it made (laughs) me mad that someone else owned it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i think it also i also like that this is a part where we lean into the idea that tommy just like love stealing shit and making money (laughs) like it's it's the moment when we're furthest from like tommy just got out of jail Mm -hmm. and what brotherhood does he truly belong to it's like that 
does not work. Mm -hmm. What works is Tommy is a crime machine. He's just acquiring and building stuff up. Like that sort of building your infrastructure, going collecting your money from all your different businesses. That's just fun. That's a fun loop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that would be a fun game if that was the whole game. Yep. It might be a funner game if that yep. was the whole game. I have to agree. So I think we've we've kind of talked quite a bit about the structure of the world and, and the game and some of the missions that did stand out to us as, as fun. But then the other thing that kind of goes on top of the world, right, is the veneer of the world, the satirical Miami. This is the other thing that a lot of people really liked about this game. And I, I know last time, one of the big questions I had for you was, is this satire? Which is also a different question from, is it funny? So maybe right. you could answer both of those. Right. If neither of those resonated for you, then that could also explain why uh, you didn't really give yourself over to this game. So is it funny is a subjective question. And is it satire? I think is not. Mm -hmm. um, I think... Uh, for me, it was funny a couple times. <laughs> a lot of it was funny when I did stuff that made me laugh. <laughs> so I don't know. If right. the, like the game let me, but I don't know if that makes it a funny game. Um, there's one radio ad that got me because I was not expecting it. So I have to <laughs> shout out this ad for this old video games console called the Degenitron. <laughs> where they describe three different games, but the, the the hook of it is each of the games is just moving around a green circle and a red square. The joke is like all these different like interpretive or game frameworks you're trying to put on to just this, these two very crude shapes that like aren't inherently anything. Like it's a pretty like inside baseball, like game designy kind of joke, but like. Right. About how you, how you put these narratives onto these abstract shapes. Yeah. Like, you know, Thomas was alone. Yes. <laughs> Right. Yeah. They, that's the joke. It's basically yes, that as, as a joke. But yeah. And that's just like a tiny bit smarter of a joke than I was really <laughs> expecting to hear. And yeah. I think the only joke that made you laugh. Yeah, it did. I was like, okay, that one was good. <laughs> that one was good. So is it funny? Twice. <laughs> like a bit to me. Um, it definitely thinks there are other times when it's being funny that I think are mostly stupid and weird. <laughs> um, but, you know, that there is a level of subjectivity there that I you know, whatever. Is a satire? Boy, do I have a lot to say about this. I think the team would say it has satirical elements or even is a satire. Well, they, yeah, they do say that. <laughs> yeah. I am less convinced. I think it lacks a target in a pretty meaningful way. Oh, last time you were making fun of me for always wanting something to have a target, a clear target. A clear target, I think it would. I was making fun of you for wanting to know what the moral lesson is of your media. <laughs> I don't need my media to have a, me a, a moral lesson, but I do think if you're going to say you're doing satire, I should walk away being like, ah, a satire of X. Right. And I mean, so they would say, because they have said that it's a satire of like mediated American culture. I guess my question is, what does that mean? <laughs> like, yeah, it's a very broad target. Like, uh, I think in many cases, it's closer to like homage. Or like a pastiche. E right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and in some case, cases, very close to <laughs> an homage. Right. Um, you showed me the clip of the end of Scarface, for example, which is literally the... The, the last mission. Yeah, yeah. I think it just, I think it's a little too in love with its cultural products that it's cribbing from to mm -hmm. actually say anything or do anything with them. I think it gets to the point of being like, look, we've put these in the game. They're here. You recognize this. You're like, oh, I know that. That's mm -hmm. from Scarface. But then it's like, what are we? Are we creating something that is ours and is specific to this text? 
using those pieces or are we just being like, oh, right, the part where your number two betrays you? Right. And even if it's not creating something new, at the very least, it could say something about yeah. the stuff that it's putting in the game. But it, but yeah, so you you feel that it's not actually making any kind of commentary. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I do. And I think so. I, I have two thoughts about this. One is that I think this purpose is a little bit frustrated by the figure of Tommy, um, mm. because I think I think Tommy is the kind of character who can work in a as the protagonist of a movie that is about something like this better than in a game. Uh, and what I mean by that is that one of my issues with him is that he never seems to think anything about anything or care about anything or anyone. Like he doesn't seem to have anyone that he cares about beyond his like his business relationships are are it. He has no interiority really. The only thing we know is that he rejects any sense of of fraternity with um, the people he went to jail for. But that's not really a character trait. And I think you can have an, an anchor like that in like a film that's about disaffectation and like the like alienation from all this. And that can work. But mm-hmm. the problem with this game is that you have to be Tommy. Right. You're not watching him. You're being you, like you're making him you're doing the things. Mm-hmm. And so I think it needs something different in that role for it to not just come off as like everyone and everything. Like this is a world where I think the only thing this world believes is like everyone here is awful. So let's be awful and it'll be great. Um, like they've set up a world where everyone basically deserves whatever you do to them. Like you have no reason to care about any particular like bystanders or or mm-hmm. people or whatever. Um, and so it it just it just ends up being like kind of empty, I think. Okay, so here's what I think the game thinks it's doing. Sure. And again, I don't necessarily agree that they're doing this. I just want to throw them as many bones as possible. Sure. <laughs> out of fairness, I guess, to the developer. What I think they're doing is I think they are making this game with the premise, what would it be like to exist in America if America was the America that is portrayed in the media, both the news media and in popular culture? And I think it's trying to say, possibly, that if that was an actual reflection of reality, the only way maybe you could exist within this reality is to become, is to become some kind of dissociated, sociopathic Tommy-like character. Okay, but this is um, media. Like, this is just, you're just reproducing those things into this game. Like, we already, other games that are also set in, like, a fictionalized version of the real United States are also doing exactly the thing that you're explaining. (laughs) Like, I've played that game. Sure, yeah, they do end up kind of replicating the thing that they're ostensibly critiquing. But then do you think there's any way to do that that doesn't fall into that trap then? Like, can... Is this even something that is possible to to satirize if you're doing it within the context of you know, the North American? I mean, this is a British product, but still mm-hmm. like the like the Western quote unquote popular media. I think you need a change in Tommy, or you need one real person in this world. I think um, you either need a a Tommy that you feel somehow compelled to root for, despite like that you want to continue his story along fundamentally, even if that's like. So I do think you that you are meant to like Tommy. Oh, I did not. <laughs> and I, I also, this is not a thing where I'm like, oh, I can see how this mm-hmm. was fun for other people. It just didn't hit with me. I don't understand what anybody likes about Tommy. 
Right. I, no, I agree that he's not much of a character. <laughs> and in future games, they really do try to delve into characters mm-hmm. more. But I don't think that actually fixes this problem in any in any real way. Sure. But yeah, definitely like by getting Relio to do the voice and actually giving your protagonist for the first time in one of these games a voice, mm-hmm. they were trying to create some kind of connection, I think, between the audience and Tommy. It just didn't work, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean... I guess that just didn't really come together for me. Yeah, there's also something weird in here going on with like consumerism and like America. Like I Yeah, that's definitely that's again another one of their stated targets. Well, so this is what's weird and this is part <laughs> of why I'm not sure I buy the satire argument because this is a place where the game seems at cross purposes with itself. Hmm. So we're on the one hand on Tommy's uh klepto money accumulation quest and on the other hand we also like, I kept being surprised at various points by things like radio ads that would come on that were surprisingly blunt about things like American imperialism, mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, this, there's sort of like a, like, <laughs> proto, like, dirtbag left kind of voice that also pops up from time to time in this, uh, in this game. Uh, and there's clearly, like, a lot of the ads that you hear on radio, this is sort of where I think we get this big and like uh, whatever satirical content there is of consumerism. That's definitely where it shows up. And I think that just is so at odds with literally everything else that you're that mm-hmm. you're doing that every time you hear that, you're sort of like, oh, what? Like it feels out of place in this world. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it coexists with everything else. Right. Yeah, it I, I get that too. Like it feels like they just put it in because they knew it would be a provocative thing to say, but it doesn't make a coherent point with the rest of the game. Like it's just here's something else we can point at. Yeah. Without a real purpose. Yeah. You know what I kept thinking when this happened? I kept thinking, I think that what the Hauser brothers both or people who wrote this game most want is for me to say to someone else, you know, you think that game's stupid, but it's surprisingly <laughs> clever in parts. Like I think it wants to not come off like it's trying to be mm-hmm. smart, but I think it is desperately trying to be smart at and the they, same time. And they want the player to be able to do that regardless of their politics yes, and regardless of how much they actually think about these issues. Like everybody who plays this might find one thing that resonates with them that is unexpected. They can then go and say this game is smart because right. of X. I'm, honestly, I'll remember that dumb <laughs> early games joke. Yeah. And so I think I just, you know, that that might have felt different in the time but like in 2020 i'm not having that (laughs) (laughs) like no thank you Um, so the so the one thing if we kind of dismiss this as satire and say okay this doesn't necessarily work as satire doesn't do quite enough it's uh critical target isn't clear enough does it then at least work as pastiche or as homage to the crime movies that it's clearly in love with uh, to the point where it takes literal set pieces yeah and puts them in the game yeah somewhat like i think i just again i wish it was just doing something of its own um and i think one of the one of the weird mo- one of the weird things is like it's too klutzy <laughs> to be like a a, a traditional sort of crime narrative mm. like you you have this sort of all these acquisition quests and everything. You're, you know, working with people at the biker bar. You're like doing all this different, like sort of on your way up stuff. But then again, all that, it just, the feel is so wrong when you get into a mission and you're just like, doi doi, <laughs> like with like 
maximum uh, collateral damage and like just... Oh, it's the little narrative dissonance thing. Yeah, I guess so. Right. It It's just like this this guy, it makes no sense that this guy continues on the up. Like it, it's just, I don't know. It, it, you don't, you never feel like a good crime boy. You never, <laughs> you never feel like a smooth criminal. Oh no. Yeah. They didn't, they weren't able to pay for the rights to keep Michael Jackson's music in the game <laughs> and they should uh, also take that joke with it. Yeah. I think it's just like, I don't, I don't, see any inherent reason why Tommy gets to be on top. I don't see like we have a lot of the beats of of crime narratives, but we I we are missing so much of the actual feel when you're playing games as opposed to when you're watching a cutscene. Mm. All your cutscenes, sure. All of them. But then as soon as I have the controller again, it's like and I don't think it's just cuz I am klutzy in this game. I think it's just like not set up to give you that sort of smooth, like, ooh, I'm an illicit operator in public space feeling. Yeah, and honestly, even now that I'm thinking about it, the the crime story that we could put together from just all the cutscenes, I'm not even sure that that really works. I think it almost ends up being too by the book. Like, for example, uh, they telegraph Lance's betrayal so far in advance and so heavy-handedly and so many times that I actually assumed it was going to be a misdirect. Mm, mm-hmm. Like I was like, this is, it's simply too obvious for them to actually make this be the thing. But no, that's the thing. And so then it's like, well. Yeah. And this is, this is a pacing issue because they telegraph it in the first act where it is very much story concentrated. Yeah. And then because that second act is so open, right. it, it, so much time does pass where there's really no story advancement. But you feel the progression of time. So you feel like a lot of stuff's happening because you're buying up all these businesses. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, he betrayed you, which you kind of knew. Yeah. The payoff of that comes so far later because, <laughs> right. because of how the, how the game is structured. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just not sure that that stuff really succeeds mm. either. As long as you can stay not too attached to any one thing in this game or wanting too much from any one thing, I think you'll be fine. But I think that's not what I am doing in this podcast. Right. Okay. So... Story doesn't work, doesn't work necessarily as an homage even to crime. Does it at least work as an homage to the 80s or at least the media conception of the 80s? This is about as good as it gets for me. I think we have a recognizable color palette. I think we have some (laughs) fashions that I like Mm -hmm. to see, even though everyone's walking around the city barefoot. Um, I don't know why everyone's in McKees. I think we have music selections that I really like cruising through Miami excuse me, Vice City, with the Spanish station on, feels good. Or with Flash FM on. Or with Flash FM. or Honestly, most of these stations I listen to for at least a little bit. All that stuff, even like the extravagance and the cynicism, like all that stuff as an 80s thing works a little bit better. Your lawyer immediately is doing so much cocaine. That's another story beat that doesn't pay off. Your <laughs> lawyer gets all coked out and out of his head. And I was like, oh, this is going to be something. He's going to make a mistake. He's no, going to screw your, something up. Your most trusted nope. advisor. He's with you till yeah. the end, even in the shootout against Lance. Like, why? Anyway, so that's, that's I think, as close as we can get to that very general, just pointing at an entire decade and going like, see this? You like this? This was a thing that happened 
Yeah, it is fun to drive around listening to those songs on the radio. That's the thing it is. Even though I played on PC and would have put MP3s on there and would have listened, definitely listened to like Linkin Park's In the End. That was a... That is not what I would want to hear while playing that was this our, game. When we were playing, that was like a GTA staple. For some, for some reason, it just got into a thing. Anytime that that <laughs> song would end, we would fall into the lake. Like always. Does that add a narrative flavor that would make me like this game more, actually? <laughs> if there's just like this, like, do, 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 do. Yeah, and then you're in the lake every time. There's just like this darkness in Tommy's soul. Maybe that actually would improve <laughs> it. I honestly, so we talked about how you used to listen to your own stuff with this. I'm, I kind of do not regret not being able to do that. Especially for this one, because it is so much in a time and place. And the time and place is what worked for me more than anything right. else. So yeah. like, if you let me cheat and put on a podcast, I'm going to do that because I'm garbage. But it's not going to enhance, it's not me <laughs> right. giving the game a fair shake and getting the most out of it. So yeah, that, yeah, listen, 80s Miami vibes are good. They're good. Okay, so those are most of the reasons that I and other people like this game mm -hmm. and we discussed why they didn't resonate with you. Uh, but let's take a little bit of a break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about this other thing that we brought up in the last episode, um, which is that you were really hesitant to play this game and, and to enjoy this game in 2020, given the state of the world. Mm -hmm. And so when we come back, we'll talk about whether that did affect your experience or not. Are you tired of dad? Dad, no one wants to hear your stupid Vietnam stories. Are you tired of mom? Hi, Angel. Do you want to read a book or go outside? No! The arcade comes to your living room only without the creepy guys offering to show you puppies. Awesome! The Degenitron. You can play video games just like you were in the arcade. Excellent! Degenitron. The Degenitron gaming system plays three exciting games, including Defender of the Faith, where you save the green dots with your fantastic flying red square. Cool! Monkey's Paradise, where you swing from green dot to green dot with your red square monkey. That's red! And Penetrator, where you smash the green dots deep inside the mysterious red square. Wow! The Degenitron brings arcade realism to your living room. It can even take quarters, and a strange, sweaty man comes by to empty the machine on Fridays. Degenitron! Degenitron, fighting the evil of boredom. I'll never go to school again, Degenitron! Okay, we're back. And before we wrap everything up, I do want to dig in a little bit into how the present affected your playthrough. So you're not playing this in 2002, you're playing this in 2020. There's mm -hmm. a lot weighing on us. So did that affect your playthrough at all? So it did ambiently, but not mm. directly, I think. Um, I was actually a bit surprised by the extent to which I was not thinking about things like, you know, police violence, when I'm like fleeing from mm. the cops or having like shootouts in public. Um, and I think it's just so heightened that it doesn't feel reflective of much. Um, and the other, <laughs> I think the other thing here is like, I, I know what Tommy is comfortable, my Tommy is comfortable doing in the game, which does include mowing down people on the street in cold blood. <laughs> so whenever the cops are after me, I'm also sort of like, yeah, that's fair. Like it's, it's, it feels, <laughs> it's like I need to be stopped. <laughs> it's the other thing. Um, and I also kind of expected to feel something about being able to run around the city openly going wherever I want. Like we've been uh, in our apartment for like five months at this point. 
Um, and so I I thought it would feel good to go oh, run right. around yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> uh, and again, I think it's just abstracted to the point where it mm. doesn't feel like anything really. Um, and this is, I think, part of what makes the whole like controversy around this game the strangest to me like the moral panic yeah like because mm. it feels so unreal like nothing even in this moment where i'm primed to be so sensitive about mm. so much of this stuff i wasn't like gosh that's awful i was just like oh, it's just like you know they're everyone's a menace here include <laughs> the police me everyone's a menace like just it's whatever um and and i just i can't imagine anyone feeling like this was in any way reflective of what anyone would want to do in real life. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand that connection remotely. Okay, so maybe if we frame it in a different way. So if we go back to that Nightline episode that we watched, yeah, how that episode kept framing the game was in terms of the game encouraging you to do all of these completely abhorrent acts. The one they kept returning to was the paying a sex worker and mm-hmm. then killing her to take back the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, they always framed it in terms of you get more points. Uh, now that you've actually played the game, do you actually feel like the game encourages that kind of behavior? Not that kind. I, I don't think the game encourages anything whatsoever interpersonally. I think the game encourages a sort of like road ragey carnage. Mm. I think you can say that. And it's not that it rewards it with points. Like, I don't, I think that getting $20 for doing a flip in your car across the river is hardly what I would call a huge points incentive Mm. to do this stuff. It's more like, like, let's not be coy about where the fun in this game Mm -hmm. is. And a lot of the time that's like crazy street racing and crashes and getting, you know, like, like we've talked about. But I, I had, I I never got anywhere close to hiring a sex worker and like it it's not I could have got through this game without realizing that that was even an option. Right, cuz there's no mission where you have to do No. You even have to engage with those systems at all. At all. I don't think I paid anyone anything and then killed them and took their money back. Mm-hmm. Like that's uh and so it's weird that that becomes such a focal point especially it's especially weird given how much I know general uh, American culture in the early 2000s gave a shit about sex workers being killed, which was like not very much. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, let's not let's not pretend that we're like mm-hmm. all super invested in this vulnerable like class of people. Uh, so that just feels so disingenuous to me at that point, even though I think I would like I don't know that I could bring myself to do that in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, even like, I, I don't like that. It feels abhorrent to me, mm-hmm. even in, in this context. Right. You're bringing your own self to that action. Right. Because that's kind of the, what a game is. It's an interaction right. between the, the game and the player. Yeah. So I guess the larger question then is for you, do you think there's any boundary or sorry for you? Is there a boundary for what should be admissible by games like so things that aren't necessarily encouraged but do you think there should be a limit for what a game could potentially allow when you're talking about open world games especially yeah so i'm torn on this um i so the reason why i'm torn on this is because i think it's not feasible to expect game developers to be able to anticipate everything that a player base will figure out they can combine systems to do. Right. That yeah. That's just reality. 
Um, I think some are sensitive enough or foreseeable enough that it makes sense to me that you would like block it in advance. Like I, I kind of think maybe they should have seen this coming. And I think if they gave a shit, they might've gated this off. Mm. But I also don't think, I mean, it's the reason they don't include children in any of their games. Like they have, these, sure. especially now these really realistic worlds, not no kids. Right. I'm um, outside right. of cutscenes. Right. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of wish that was gated out, and I, I certainly wouldn't think it would harm the game to do that. I also just don't think, at least at this time, that they want you not to be able to do that. But I guess my bigger question is about how much we can ask developers to foresee. Um, I think you should have an expectation that if you're introducing uh, like certain kinds of people, like you have to be aware of the harms that are possible for certain kinds of people. Um, and that's going to have particularities uh, depending on your characters. But I, I also just, there's a there's an extent to which you can set up all kinds of shit <laughs> mm -hmm. and people will figure out how to do all kinds of stuff. Um, and I think there's, I think there's both an extent to which I would like devs to be responsible for that and a limit to what we can ask of them essentially. But to bring it back to what I said at the start, I said it, it affected me ambiently, but not directly. And so like ambiently, there is an effect. Uh, honestly, I am stressed and scared about the world almost all the time. And that does not put me in the mood to play as like a naughty nihilistic crime boy who doesn't care about anyone or anything. Um, and it's actually interesting to me that the only parts of the the parts of the game that were consistently the most fun to me were often parts where things had gotten really out of control and I could just be like, well, okay, uh, we're going down in flames here, so I'll see you all in hell and just like make it as bad as possible. And I even feel like that is like some like smothered hysteria coming mm. out. You know what I mean? Like there's there's so I don't know. I think it I think it affected my my mood and my appetite for like destructive, disconnected uh, disaffected play generally, but not in the sense that I found any of the topics addressed in this game disturbing, if that makes sense. Um, I will say that I left this game pretty uninterested in anything these games would ever have to say about anything. So if they try <laughs> to say things in later games or other places, I I'm not convinced that that would be done well. <laughs> So actually, one of the reasons I asked you to play Vice City and not one of the other Grand Theft Autos is because this is the one that is more abstracted. Some mm -hmm. later Grand Theft Autos do try to deal with the real world, like our world, okay. more directly. In the next game, in, in San Andreas is where Rockstar really wanted to take on modern issues. This was the set in 1990s LA, so in Los Santos, which is Los Angeles, as right. Vice City is to Miami. And that game, the climax of that game are the Los Santos riots. Ah. And what spurs those riots is the villain of the game is this corrupt cop officer Tenpenny. And what happens is that um, he is kind of involved with murder and drug drug trafficking. Um, largely kind of he's part of the criminal underworld, but also a cop. Okay. And his corruption's exposed and he's acquitted at the end and that launches these riots. But Officer Ted Penny is played by Samuel Jackson as a black cop. Of course. So it's a black cop who is really 
who is not like abusing innocent citizens. He's right. like all of his crimes take place within a criminal underworld. And so that they kind of displace Rodney King mm-hmm. and the LA riots onto this that like and, this pre existing vision of black criminality that could just as easily be a character you meet in Right. That decontextualizes the LA riots completely and takes away everything that they were actually meant to kind of represent in their cultural moment. Uh that's rough. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of how Rockstar treats real life events. They don't actually want to deal with the the systemic underpinnings of those events. They need to make them work within their own fictionalized narratives and sanitize them and depoliticize them as much as possible. Sure. Um, yeah, I think it was probably a good call that I played this one and not that one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, that one I can imagine more so some of the specificity of this uh, moment coming forward, mm-hmm. be, you know, because it is much more about uh, themes about abuse of power and, and stuff like that. Um, whereas this one just just none of the themes landed. Right. And I mean, it's almost better when I think none of the themes land than when you take those themes and completely distort them or do them wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. Like doing riots and completely divorcing them from the concept of racial oppression is like an oversight at best and morally abhorrent in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's not even the worst. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that Playing that now would come across even worse in this moment. So I'm glad we didn't play that one um, for the show. Uh, So yeah, if if you played this game and you felt no affection for the characters, you felt nothing for the world, you didn't enjoy the sandbox, I think it makes perfect sense you kind of felt lonely in the end. Right, right. Um, And I also... I guess I feel Tommy I, felt like a lonely character to me. Also, I mean, we didn't even talk about any of the other characters. I mean, you mentioned Lance and you mentioned the lawyer. Yeah, and I think like for the game, it thinks it's populating this world with these really you know quirky, interesting characters, and I and it seems like you didn't even mention them. I know you liked Burt Reynolds. Yeah, for no specific reason. I think you were just surprised that he was in the game. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> and I know you like the bikers. Yeah, I like the bikers. I don't know. Uh, rock music always played on my stereo when I was doing missions for them. I don't know. This is the kind of stuff that I was down to of like, this feels good to me for some reason. Um, I did also kind of like Cortez, uh, who you do some missions for at the start. Um, mostly, I think, because he seems to at least be willing to like feign some kind of like affection or feel some kind of affinity towards you. And uh, his missions are all just like, go take care of my business. And then he just disappears into international waters, which is like (laughs) a great exit to me. And he's just gone for the rest of the game. He's never back. He's just gone. Um, But I, I just, I, yeah, none of them, none of them were people. None of them really like there's, there's again, some fun uh, conceits with kind of nothing inside it. Um, And that, that's kind of how it, how it kept going. Doing missions for the band is fun in theory, but then all of their dialogue just was annoying. <laughs> um, so it keeps being this thing where, you know, you start to be like, oh, okay, this is a setup. And then as you get into it, it's just like, oh, I don't like anything that's in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll end there. We should check in on your predictions, see how you did. Oh, yeah. 
And then I guess you can give it a score. Uh, so we asked you to describe one of the mission givers. Mm-hmm. You said there would be a used car salesman at his lot who is in debt. There was a used car lot mm-hmm. that you owned. Yeah. Uh, but that was it. There was no car salesman who was giving no. you missions. No. Uh, one song you expected to hear. So that Don't You Forget About Me song. It's not in here. Not there. Kind of surprising. Would would fit <laughs> would fit quite well. Uh, will someone say the line, say hello to my little friend? You said no, and nobody said it. Mm-hmm. I asked you to predict what you do in a mission called Jury Fury, and you nailed it. Well, yeah. Yeah, intimidate the jurors, but don't take anybody out. Yep. That was that was the mission. I asked you what happens when you get a six-star wanted level. You said you just get swarmed by multiple units in cars, and they'll just start shooting at you out of the gate. That's what happens at level two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six is when they call on the military, and yeah. you have the tanks on the road. I had the, I had the upper end of this wrong in my head. <laughs> Asked you who is not a voice actor in the game, Dennis Hopper, Burt Reynolds, Don Johnson, or Gary Busey. You said Burt Reynolds. He was in the game and you wrong. loved him. I was wrong. Then I asked you if you'd ride a Uniracer's unicycle. You said no. Huge missed opportunity. No unicycles <laughs> in the game. Are there in later games? I don't think I wouldn't so. be surprised. I don't think there are. Yeah, a huge <laughs> missed opportunity. Okay. So yeah, do you have any uh, final words or a, or a score for us? I do have a score. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> I give this this game 51 points, a passing grade so that I don't have to have it in my class again next year. <laughs> That's it? Just, it's a pass. Move on. Wait, so does that mean that your scores are on a 100-point scale? Have we cracked a code? No, only this one. <laughs> <laughs> this one is. The other ones are not. Okay. It makes sense that this is kind of the outlier, hopefully. <laughs> so I guess we won't be revisiting uh, a Grand Theft Auto anytime soon. Oh, if they, you know, if they do something that is worth looking, I don't know. No, we're not going to. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Thanks as always for listening. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, uh, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You could tell a friend, very helpful to us. We appreciate it a lot. You can find show notes and other information at neverwasagamer.com and follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time when Michelle enters the foggy hell of single parenthood. Because (laughs) understanding dad psychology is an increasingly important part of becoming a gamer. Bye.